This week on the show, we have Midnight BSD 1.0 being released. We have a MeetBSD review as well as EuroBSDCon trip reports for you. We have an article about DNS over TLS in FreeBSD 12, uh, upgrading OpenBSD with Ansible, and how to use SmartD to run tests on your drives automatically, and more in this week's episode of BSD Now. BSD Now, episode 271, Automatic Drive Tests, recorded on the 7th of November, 2018. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Reuschling. And I'm Alan Jude. And we have a great show prepared for you this week, starting off with new BSD releases. This time, it's Midnight BSD 1.0. The cat is yes. in the moon. In <laughs> <laughs> the half moon. So <laughs> everybody's favorite BSD distro named after somebody's cat. Uh, they're happy to announce the availability of Midnight BSD 1.0 for AMD64 and i386. Uh, over the years, many ambitious goals were set for a 1.0 release. As the time approached, it was it became clear it wouldn't be able to accomplish all of those. Um, this release is more of a natural progression. Sorry. Then a groundbreaking event. It includes many updates to the base system, improvements to the package manager, updated compiler, and tools. Of particular note, you can now boot off uh, ZFS and use NVMe SSDs, uh, and some AMD Radeon graphics cards uh, now support acceleration. AMD Ryzen support is also greatly improved, and they've added Beehive uh, from FreeBSD to the release. The 1.0 release is finally available, although packages are still building as of, well, that was as of the 14th of October, so they're probably done by now. Packages take a while, but they don't really take that long. Um, the single largest issue with the release uh, has been the web server performance. The CPU is overloaded uh, and has been at 100% solid for days, I'm guessing, building those packages, uh, which is i7-770. Uh, or 7700. Uh, I'm trying to figure out to, what you do to buy an upgrade. It's actually blocking multiple processes. Uh, a six or eight core chip might be an improvement for the workload. Uh, I know the official FreeBSD package builders usually have 32 or 48 threads uh, to do the package building. They uh, need those. Then yeah. It still takes about a day uh, each for, uh, for each version for each architecture. Hence mm. why there are like a dozen or more of those machines. Anyway, uh, in the show notes, there's links to download the latest version of Midnight BSD and also a YouTube video giving you a little walkthrough. Oh yeah, excellent. So that people get a, an idea of what it's uh, what it can do and what it contains. So that's uh, Midnight BSD. Uh, next up, we have a MeetBSD review. Remember our review that we did a couple of shows ago? But this one is from Linux Unplugged. And, of course, Chris goes to MeetBSD is the title. With Chris being Chris Fisher, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has a very nice and detailed write-up of uh, his experiences. And it goes like this. MeetBSD 2018 took place at the sprawling Intel Santa Clara campus. The venue itself got more like an olive branch than a simple friendly gesture by Intel. Uh, in truth, it felt like a bit of an apology. You get a subtle sense they feel bad about how the BSDs were treated with the meltdown inspector flaws. In fact, you may be right to think they felt a bit sorry towards the entire open source community. So MeetBSD 2018, at most massive venues, the parking is the first concern. Not so here. In fact, that was a rather straightforward thing. No, the rest, uh, uh, the real challenge is navigating the buildings. Yeah, because Intel is not just a yeah, single campus building. but is large and you have to find the right building. Mm. <clears throat> so, so luckily he had help from, navigate, from a navigator extraordinaire, Hadea, who located the correct building, SC12, quickly. Finding the entrance took a moment uh, or two, though the lobby itself was converted by AIX Systems efficiently into the MeetBSD Expo Hall. Clean, efficient, and roomy with registration, some seating, and an extra conference room for one-on-one uh, well, yeah, one -on -one sessions. Uh, on day two, sponsor booths were also set up. 
and all who showed up on uh, day one were warmly greeted with badges, lanyards, and goodies by Denise and her friendly team. Yeah, that was a good uh, arrival. Uh, you get I was your helping lanyards. early, but if you arrive late like Chris did, then... <laughs> <laughs> Everything is already <laughs> in the state where it should be. Okay, then like every great BSD event, plenty of food was made available. And as always, they make it look effortless. Oh yes, that's true. Um, these events showcase IX Systems' inherent generosity towards its community, with breakfast items in the back of the main auditorium room in the morning, boxed lunches, fruit and cookies at lunchtime, and snacks for the rest of the day. Yes, the food was excellent. I uh, also had uh, a very good food memory. Uh, I tried to get everything, a little bit of everything, but it's difficult. I think I tried three of the four different kinds of boxed lunch between the three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and but just in case you're still there's a pizza meetup in another hood, uh, Intel room after day one and two. So MeetBSD leverages its realistically small crowds uh, on size uh, of size on day one. Uh, the morning starts off with introductions of the entire group. The mic is passed around the room. The group is a good mix of pros in the industry, such as Juniper, Intel, eBay, Groupon, Cisco, etc., IX staff, and a few enthusiasts. I don't know where we. Uh, fit in there but yeah <laughs> somehow in yeah, between but um yeah one of the <laughs> advantages to keeping meetbsd under 300 people is that first thing in the first morning you can actually have every person say their name and a little bit about what they do with bsd uh and you it helps everybody feel more like part of the conference and it's it's part of the unconference style of MeetBSD. Isn't just you're here to listen to the people on the speaker list. It's we're all here to talk to everybody, so that no one is feeling left out or is just passively listening. Well, it's just yeah, more so that you know I get more out of the conference by going because I get to talk to a hundred people instead of you know listen to ten. Hmm. Okay, um, on it goes. Uh, the um, Lots of people with a focus on or passion for networking. And of course, some friendly Linux bashing went down for good measure, always followed by a good-natured chuckle. So, the kickoff. There's a picture of Alan here in front of the MeetBSD. Uh, the back sign. of my head, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's you, yeah. Okay, at 10 a.m., Chris Moore takes the stage to lay out how TrueOS can be used to bootstrap a FreeBSD-based distribution. And there was, some, uh, there was some encouragement from Chris to his fellow developers to modernize some of their workflow. And underneath it all, there is currently a debate underway about switching FreeBSD development to Git, Modernizing the tools and process that various members of the BSD community use feels like a growing area of focus. Uh, the second talk of the day was Intel and FreeBSD, Better Together by Ben Widaski from Intel's open source area. And he has a long history of development in the multimedia area, including extensive driver work on Linux. He's now focusing on technology enabling for FreeBSD, and this being the second talk of the event seemed purposeful. Ben had some... Uh, had something he wanted to get across. Oh yeah, he did. Uh, he put a lot of effort into his presentation. He wanted to clearly communicate that Intel is a contributor to open source and intends to do better. We also uh, went. Oh, he also went out of his way to cover his area of expertise, actively soliciting input and help from the audience at hand. There was a lot of top-level atten attention on this event from Intel. Uh, the longish negotiation process the organizers went through to get Intel to ratchet down security is a bit of a context for this talk, too. But also noteworthy that was Widowski's talk was closely scrutinized by Intel Legal, with what seems to be special emphasis taken on their statement on their security first pledge. And uh, here's a picture of me. Yes, I was at the conference, so that's the, <laughs> that's the proof. Excellent. Yeah, there were also talks by Andrew Fingler about monitoring and whatnot monitor. Uh, breakout groups where we talked about a bunch of things, including 100 gigabit plus networking, uh, the Bloomberg story about motherboards, uh, which we've still not seen one of these motherboards for real yet, <laughs> uh, and how that worked out. Uh, there was the ZFS uh, expert panel. So got... Uh, See that? Yep. 
Michael Lucas, myself, Alexander Moten, uh, Pavel Doedek, and Dan Langill up on stage and just took questions from the audience and kind of talked a bit about what's coming up in ZFS next. Uh, and then, as we said, we had the pizza and stuff for dinner. On the second day, started off with Michael Lucas's why he chooses to use BSD uh, as an opening keynote, a uh, bunch of other talks. Um, but the real important one uh, was near the end here. We said, um, before the special guests can take the stage, the IX Systems uh, staff planned a surprise thank you for Denise Irby, uh, the planner of this event and so many others. Uh, and, you know, the person who made sure we all had that excellent food for lunch every day and so on. She worked hard to secure everything from uh, each individual speaker to each and every bite of food provided and uh, made sure that the room uh, was full and, you know, all this. And you could feel the uh, appreciation from the whole audience uh, to Denise for all that work. Um, it was really a genuinely sweet moment and the group's tightness was palpable. I can easily say I've never... Uh, been tempted to tear up at an event like this before but this one uh got to me there was a true affection in history uh that many of the attendees have with each other and the recognition of hard work uh well done has resonated um uh, this alone made the second day special for me but i think the day's special guest uh was also the highlight and that was kirk mccusick uh and he did his choose your own adventure talk and uh the vote came up that we would hear the story of how TCP IP came to BSD. Oh yeah. That uh, and was good. Then we had the, uh, bunch of other talks, including, uh, Devin Tessie's talk about, uh, using D trace in production, uh, how to wrangle virtual machines and, uh, another one on choosing the right language for your different projects. And then there's the uh, group photo here. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. See I'm somewhere everybody. in the back. <laughs> yeah, we all just Hidden kind of by piled in there together. Uh. <clears throat> so his uh, closing thoughts are, Meet BSD gives me the feels. <laughs> I find that I'm uh, subtly unnerved at this venue, and at lunch I saw it clearly. I have always had a strong geek radar, allowing me to navigate a new area like Berkeley for Meet BSD or even Scale uh, in Pasadena. And uh, at a glance, I can see who is from the conference and who isn't. This means uh, it's easy, nearly effortless, to know uh, who to greet with a smile and wave and, and you know, who's just a random person. Um, you know, these are my people. But here at the Intel campus, though, it's different. <laughs> uh, the drive uh, in alone reveals the behemoth complexes of all the well-known tech names on display in Silicon Valley. And all of these are my people. So... Uh, so much for knowing who's from the conference. <laughs> uh, thank goodness for those infamous BSD horns, because then you know who's with the conference. Uh, nonetheless, I'm struck by how massive these tech giants are, and Intel is one of the largest of those. And to see the physical uh, reminders of this fact brought home uh, the significance that they had opened their doors, Wi-Fi, and even their bathrooms to the BSD community. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, bathrooms become important once the conference uh, yes, has been running for a couple of hours. When he originally posted <laughs> this, I, I had asked him, you know, which one is more intimate, sharing your Wi-Fi or your bathroom? Ooh. <laughs> I think I'm more likely yeah. to let a stranger on my Wi-Fi than use my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, overall, um, great um experience report from that uh, conference and that was the first time actually when i had a chance to actually meet chris in person and talk to him and uh, yeah that was that was nice oh yeah really uh, i feel that's uh, a good outside view still from the i mean he's been to a couple yes. of bsd he's events been to, but uh mostly linux conferences has done uh, meet bsd two years ago uh, but yes very much the perspective of somebody who's not really that into bsd you know uses free NAS and is aware of what BSD is and has heard me talk about it in his ear mm. repeatedly for years, but uh, isn't that into it himself, but still got value out of that conference, uh, which really goes to show how useful it is. Yeah, that's the important stuff. You don't have to be an enthusiast or just mm -hmm. interested enough to, you know, um, to learn something. And that's certainly happening at the BSD conferences. All right. 
next up, we have some, remember EuroBSDCon 2018 in Bulgaria? Yes, we have some trip reports now coming up uh, as part of the uh, travel grants the FreeBSD Foundation gives out. Uh, we have three of them uh, on their blog. The first one is from Joseph Mingrone. Um, and, oh, that's long. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a reason why we picked Joseph to be the FreeBSD core team secretary. Uh, yeah, thoroughness in <laughs> write-ups, but, which is good, I mean. Yeah, he starts up talking uh, uh, when he arrived for the Dev Summit on Thursday. Uh, it had a bit of an unconference feel because we didn't have a set schedule. Uh, after introductions and greetings, we got down to brass tacks uh, and did some hacking in small groups and also came up with uh, a list of things that we wanted to accomplish for FreeBSD 13, which we actually have in later in the show notes. Uh, and he also got the opportunity to work in person with Dave Cuddlehubber on a review, catch up on some core email, and uh, update a few of his ports. Uh, eventually, um, Sean Chittenden stepped up and led a room-wide discussion as part of the Dev Summit, including talking about uh, expectations from the 10th core team, uh, workflow and version control stuff, and our goals for FreeBSD 13. Uh, but there's lots of detail about what happened at the Dev Summit if you're interested. Uh, you can check that out. There's also, uh, he broke down a couple of things of what we want uh, that he found most interesting, including better support for automation tools like using libucl, uh, better user experience, putting fewer things in base, having structured log files, and so on. Uh, then Dave Cuddlehubber also gave a talk about uh, bringing back something like red ports, uh, uh, basically a CI system so that when you make a port for FreeBSD, you can send it away to get tested because uh, compiling some of the bigger ports on every supported version of FreeBSD uh, can end up taking quite a while. Uh, and having that done in the background and you just getting the results might be easier than depending on you running it on your laptop or something. Then the conference proper started and he has lots of notes from that. And it's uh, worth checking out. Even put uh, links to the slides for some of the talks that he highlighted. Oh yeah, excellent. And I remember he he had some some kind of uh, some cold or something, but um, he still managed to to you know yeah. get enough from the conference to uh, have it valuable. <laughs> and like he says uh, in the closing thoughts here, indeed the talks in the developer summit were interesting, uh, but a meaningful aspect of the conference like this. Uh, for him, was stepping away from the comfort of you know IRC and mail clients and engaging in face-to-face -face discussions with other people. Uh, we spend significant amounts of times working on a common goal, and it's especially rewarding for me to make a connection with other members of the team. So thanks to the FreeBSD Foundation for supporting my trip to EuroBSDCon 2018. Yeah, thanks. I remember That's... when I first met Joseph quite a few years ago at uh, BSDCan. I think it might have been 2015. Something Could be, like yeah. Um, and he was staying quite a ways uh, away from the university. Uh, and it was about 3 o'clock in the morning because we'd been in the hacker lounge all night. <laughs> and I was like, you know, uh, my business partner doesn't arrive until like two days from now. But I have the, the double room at the, the residence. So I'm like, here, you have the second room of my thing and stay here instead of... Uh, you know, the buses aren't running anymore. It's three o'clock in the morning. You're not going to be able to get to your other hotel. Yeah. <laughs> you can crash here. You can uh, just leave the key card on the table in the morning. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, that was great to see him mm -hmm. at EuroBeastyCon. And uh, yeah, hopefully that's not the last conference he's going to. Mm -hmm. And next one is uh, the trip report from Vinicius Salam. Oh, that's properly pronounced. Um so he talks about um, how his company, uh, Cleverbridge, um, and the, the local staff uh, who organized and prepared everything, how he um, found that interesting. And uh, thanks to the people who did all the organizing, um, that was a, a great experience for him. So this is the third BSD-focused conference event that he's attending, and it was amazing. The first one was the one that he set, uh, organized himself in Fortaleza, Brazil, uh, back in 2015. Uh, which was 12 uh, years after the very first BSDCon there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he during his stay at Bucharest, he attended the Dev Summits and tutorials. He skipped over the important part. Oh, sorry. 
Uh, oh, here. You're just if, saying, you're asking, uh, if you're asking yourself about the conference he organized, you can take a look at the interview he did on BSD Now. Uh, oh, yeah. Whether it was recorded in Canada at BSD Can. Ah, yes. Ah, yeah. I remember. Okay. In 2016. Wow. Or at least it was the, 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 the year when it was, um, it was, was aired, that show. Okay. Um, so during his stay, uh, so he's now living in Germany and uh, uh, it didn't take him 20 hours of travel this time. Like the year he went to Ottawa for BSD Can. Um, so um, he met a couple of people um, there and had a great time talking to them. Um, and during the conference, um, so he went to my tutorial actually about Ansible, then to Niklas Seising's tutorial about um, ports and Pudriere. I also went to that. And then Peter Hessler's um, talk about BGP, I think, BGPD. And um, also he had used all um, <laughs> of the things that uh, he's used all the tools that were presented on. And yeah, that was um, a nice thing that Peter Hessler did. And he liked that way of presenting and uh, doing the tutorial to this way. Um, so he talked to a lot of people who usually only talks to uh, at I on IRC. So it was great for him to see and meet uh, Marcelo, uh, Beat, René Ladan, uh, Baptiste and Rodrigo Osorio, uh, as well as Mani Mokhtari, Maxim Sobolev, and uh, a bunch of other people. Too many to name. <laughs> and, uh, this is the, the, the reason why you should go to conferences. Meet the people in person. And yeah, then he pretty much... Uh, yeah, he liked the, um, the per also the social events. He liked them uh, very much, not only the food and drinks, but also everyone uh, interacting with each other and enjoying the evening together with lots of fun and good mood. And um, he didn't hear any complaints about anything uh, about the conference during or after, so that was that was cool. And um, he also talked to me and uh, Sato-san. I tried to bring all this, <laughs> the dark people together because he was involved in translating the or um, restarting the translation efforts for the documentation project for Brazil or the Brazilian documentation project. So they managed to, uh, in a short amount of time, manage more to translate more than 25 articles and four books in, in just one month. And we talked a little bit about the tools they were using and how to um, use that on a, in a project scale, not just for a single translation project. Mm -hmm. So yeah, great, and uh, he's thankful that he could uh, make it to the foundation as well. And yeah, great. Look forward to seeing him again. Yeah, and, and he uh, says, uh, on the closing night, he managed to stop by the Speaker Hotel for some last beers and say goodbye to people including Kirk Mahusic, Henning Brower, Peter Hester, and Olivier Robert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's nice too. I mean. Sometimes you, you always wanted to say ah goodbye to a certain person, then you don't see them again until the next day or everyone goes in a different direction or they depart earlier. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's use the time that you have with the people. You never know when you bump into them again. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we have a trip report from Emmanuel Vadeau. I said, I'd like to start by thanking the FreeBSD Foundation for sponsoring my trip to EuroBSDCon uh, in Romania. I arrived the day before the FreeBSD Dev Summit in uh, Vicinius. Uh, mm. oh, sorry, uh, the other the trip report we just finished. The one we had earlier. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, who is also sponsored by the foundation. I was waiting for him at the airport. Uh, we arrived <laughs> at the Airbnb that we had booked together and then slowly uh, walked over to meet Marcelo Arujo and uh, Mihai Taktu. Uh, for the first unofficial dinner of the conference. And oh, yeah. <laughs> he walks through what he got out of the Dev Summit, including working as, on his own or in a small group and hacking on his Pinebook, uh, which I was showing off in the, the pre-show. Uh, he's got nice. most of the Pinebook, the, uh, the $99 ARM-based laptop. Uh, so far, everything I've tried on it works except for the trackpad. That was still a work in progress. Oh. Um, but I can boot FreeBSD on it and run X and do things. So that's a, a lot of progress. Yeah, um, based on his progress and his mm -hmm. work. Great, yeah. Yeah, so focusing on that, uh, and the Dev Summit uh, didn't really end just because we left the venue. It continued on through the dinner and so on. Uh, during the Dev Summit, he also spoke, uh, spoke with Tom Jones and... Uh, Jules about the Pinebook support 
Uh, in particular, TJ uh, had been offered one during the Dev Summit, and since he uh, had another uh, one soon, he gave it to Jules to help test and develop drivers for. So more people working on the Pine 64 and Pine books, which is good. Yeah, the more uh, the better. Then the conference started, uh, and he said he personally liked the using boot environments at scale by Alan Jude. Oh, okay. Dude. <laughs> uh, I guess you should have known it makes that sense title. because it's building on the Pudre image tool, which Emmanuel uh, had helped with and used a lot at his previous job. And uh, he also liked the, the end of DNS as we know it, uh, by Karsten Stroman uh, on the first day, and the second keynote, uh, Some Computing and Networking Historical Perspective by Ron Brosma. Uh, I really liked that one. That was mm -hmm. very cool. Uh, it's too bad that wasn't recorded because that was excellent. Um, yeah. And so we learned a lot about the history of the internet from that, and uh, he had some cool relics with him as well and stuff. It was very nice. Uh, then the social event took place that night, and it was located at the Speaker Hotel, which is not far from the conference venue. We all had a really great time, and the food was excellent. Uh, the first talk I went to on the last day of the conference was taking NetBSD kernel bug roasting to the next level with the kernel sanitizer uh, by Siddharth Maruli and Camille Ritowski. Or Ritarowski, sorry. Um, there have been a lot of talk recently about adding kernel sanitizers to FreeBSD. Uh, I think I actually landed yesterday, uh, or at least uh, Andrew Turner was working on porting that from NetBSD to FreeBSD yesterday uh, and helped us find, uh, visualize what that end goal might look like to see what NetBSD has already accomplished, including some of the advantages of the addition of those kernel sanitizers. The second talk, uh, live patching the FreeBSD kernel uh, this one was also very interesting, and I hope that we'll soon have those patches. So do I. I need to actually follow up with that guy, because I think he needs some encouragement to keep working on it. Um, uh, after the or, uh, During the afternoon, I mostly attended the hallway track, uh, talking to others, developers, uh, mainly about ARM support and uh, so on, because that's what he's most into. And he says, as always, the trip was wonderful. And thanks again to the FreeBSD Foundation for helping make it possible. Thanks for applying for the grant. We always uh, appreciate people sending in those and try to bring as much people as possible to these events. Yeah. And remember, uh, it doesn't have to be a BSD event. If you want to go talk about BSD at a non-BSD event, they'll be even happier to send you. Yeah, throughout the year, whether it's... Spread the word. Yeah. Wherever it's the the, the better um, the the spread we have, even if it's just a small talk about yeah, but how we, I like if BSD. If we can parachute a little BSD into every Linux conference, <laughs> we will slowly take over the world. Oh. So, time for the news roundup this week, and the first one may contain traces of bolts. <laughs> uh, yeah, because things. Uh, this is over at uh, Doug Erling's blog here, and he has an article here about DNS over TLS in FreeBSD 12. Yeah. So, with the arrival of OpenSSL 1.1.1, uh, an upgraded version of Unbound and some changes uh, to the setup and init scripts uh, have arrived in FreeBSD 12.0, which is currently in beta, and now supports the DNS over TLS out of the box. Uh, so, DNS over TLS is what it sounds like. Doing DNS over TCP but wrapped in a TLS session so that uh, your DNS query is encrypted. Uh, it encrypts your requests and the server's replies and option allows you to verify the identity of the server you're talking to to make sure that you're not getting, you know, uh, spoofed DNS replies and so on. Mm. The advantages are protection against eavesdropping and protection against manipulation of your DNS traffic. The drawbacks are a slight performance degradation and potential firewall traversal issues as it runs over a non-standard port, uh, 853 instead of 53, which may be blocked on some networks. But let's see how it works. Um, and it covers the basic setup, basically setting uh, local unbound TLS to yes in your uh, rc.conf and configuring which uh, forwarders you want to use. In his examples, they're the Cloudflare ones. Uh, he says, note that this is not a configuration you want to run in production, and we'll come back to that in a minute. 
Um, but then he shows the difference in performance uh, as we do lookups uh, with uh, TLS and without. And you see that uh, a cached response takes about the same amount of time, 0 0.005 uh, seconds, but doing a regular DNS lookup uh, takes, a, in this example, about 230 milliseconds, uh, and it took almost double that uh, with TLS. Hmm, okay. Uh, anyway, talks through the rest of the setup and how to actually set it up for production. And, oh, yeah, that's uh, a matching it all up. That's quite a long article and uh, yep, straightforward. It's got all but... the details you need, but says in particular, in conclusion, um, we've seen how to set up Unbound, specifically the local Unbound service that's built into FreeBSD's base system, uh, to use DNS over TLS instead of plain UDP or TCP and using Cloudflare's public DNS service as an example. We've looked at the performance impact and how to ensure and verify that Unbound validates the server certificate to prevent man-in-the-middle attacks and otherwise getting uh, bad DNS results. The question that remains is whether it's all worth it. Uh, there is an undeniably a performance hit, though that may improve uh, with future versions of TLS. Uh, more important, there are currently very few DNS over TLS providers. Uh, currently only one uh, because the quad nine uh, group filters their responses and you have to weigh the advantage of encrypting your DNS traffic against the disadvantage of sending it all to a single organization who maybe is, is now eavesdropping on it, which is the thing you might've been trying to prevent in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Dagerling can't answer that question for you. That's one of personal choice, but I can tell you uh, that with the parameters uh, are evolving quickly. Uh, and if your answer is negative today, it may not remain so for long as more providers come up and you can, uh, you know, distribute your traffic around such that no one company can eavesdrop on it. Within a year or two, running DNS over TLS may very well be the rule rather than the experimental exception. Yeah, and that's good for everyone because uh, we live a little bit more secure. All right, great article here. Uh, next up, we have upgrading OpenBSD with Ansible over at changeown.me, um, the cute pieces of OpenBSD evangelism blog. Uh, it starts with, uh, a few months ago, I needed software that had just hit the port street. I didn't want to wait for the next release, so I upgraded my router to use current. Since then, I've continued running current, which means upgrading to a newer snapshot every so often. Running current is great, but the process of updating to a newer snapshot was cumbersome. Initially, I had to plug in a serial cable and then reboot into bsd.rd, hit enter 10 times, then reboot, <laughs> run sysmerge, and update packages. Really, really just 10 times. <laughs> um, I eventually switched to uh, OpenBSD to be able to upgrade without... Oh, no. Up UPO BSD? Is that a typo? Wait. Yo, no, no, mm -hmm. it's UPO BSD. Yeah, there's a link here in, to Bitbucket. It seems okay, to be a so. tool for updating. For mm -hmm. updating yeah. OpenBSD. Updating OpenBSD, Open yeah. Okay, here we go. So he switched to <clears throat> UPO BSD uh, to be able to upgrade without the need for a serial connection. The process was better, but still tiresome. Usually I would prepare the special version of BSD.RD, boot on BSD.RD, and do something like wash the dishes in the meantime. After about 10 minutes, I would dry my hands and then go back to my workstation to see whether the bsd.rd part had finished so I could run sysmerge and package add, and then return to the dishes while it upgraded packages. The dry your hands part in between is important. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so out of laziness, I thought I should automate this, and that's typically yeah where it all starts. But what happens instead is that I simply didn't upgrade that machine very often. Yes, laziness. With my router out of commission, life is very dull because it is my gateway to the internet. Even services hosted at my place, like my Mastodon instance, are not reachable when the router is down because I use multiple VLANs, so I need the router to jump across VLANs. There goes the Ansible reboot module. I recently got a new job and one of my first tasks was auditing the Ansible roles written by my predecessors. 
In one role, the machine rebooted and they used the wait underscore four underscore connection module to wait for it to came to come back up. Yeah, that pretty much waits with the execution in the playbook until a connection is again uh, available or a port and then it continues. Uh, so that sounded quite hackish to me. So out of curiosity, I tried to determine whether there was a better way. I also thought I might be able to use something similar to further automate my OpenBSD upgrades and wanted to assess the cleanliness of this method. I learned that with the then upcoming 2.7 Ansible release, a proper reboot module would be included. Uh, I went to the docs, which stated that for a certain parameter, uh, you can find the details in the show notes here. Uh, on Linux and macOS, this is converted to minutes and rounded down. If less than 60, it will be set to zero. And on Solaris and FreeBSD, this will be seconds. Okay. I took this to mean that there was no support for OpenBSD. I looked at the code and, indeed, there was not. However, I believed that it wouldn't be too hard to add it. I added the missing pieces to open for OpenBSD, tested it on my poor Pine64, and then submitted it upstream. After a quick back and forth, the module's author merged it into develop. Having a friend working at Red Hat helped them process Mercy Cyril. Uh, a couple of days later, the release engineer merged it into stable 2.7. I proceeded to actually write the playbook, and then I hit a bug. The parameter reboot underscore timeout was not recognized by Ansible. This feature would definitely be useful on a slow machine, such as the Pine64 and its dying SD card. Uh, again, my fix was merged into master by the module's author and then merged into stable 2.7. Yeah, and then 2.7.1 will be the first release to feature these fixes. But if you use OpenBSD current, you already have access to them. I backported the patches when I updated Ansible. Fun fact about Ansible and reboots, the win underscore reboot module was included with Ansible 2.1. While for Unix systems, it wasn't added until 2.7. For more details, you can read the module's author blog article. Well, I don't normally reboot my Unix machines. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You just restart services, but not the whole machine, typically, unless there's something really uh, wrong here. Uh, so the explanations here. Ansible runs my script on the remote host to fetch the sets. It creates an answer file from the template and then gives it to UpoBSD, or UpoBSD. Uh, once UpoBSD has created the kernel, Ansible copies it in place of slash BSD on the host, and the router reboots and boots on slash BSD, which is UpoBSD's BSD.rd. The installer runs into auto underscore update mode, and once it's back for BSD.rd land, it archives the kernel and finishes it by upgrading uh, all the packages. It also supports upgrading without fetching the sets ahead of time. For instance, I upgrade this way on my Pine64 because if I cared about speed, I wouldn't use this weak computer with its dying SD card. <laughs> For this case, I just comment out the path uh, underscore sets variable in Ansible and Ansible instead creates an answer file that will instruct the installer to fetch the sets from the designated mirror. I've been archiving my kernels for a few years. It's a nice way to fill up slash keep history of my upgrades uh, if I spot a regression, a regression actually, I can try a previous kernel, which may not work with the, the, the then desynchronized user land, but that's not a story. Uh, SysMerge already runs with rc.sysmerge in batch mode and sends the result by email. I don't think there's a merit to running it again in the playbook. The only perk would be uh, discovering in the terminal whether any files needed to be manually merged, other than reading exactly the same output in the email. Initially, I used the OpenBSD package module, but it doesn't work on current be just because... Um, oh, just before a release, because package add automatically looks for pub slash OpenBSD, then the release, and then slash packages for the architecture, which is empty. I wrote and tested this playbook while 6.4 was around the corner, so I switched to command mode to be able to pass the dsnap parameter. And the result is, I'm very happy with the playbook. It performs the upgrade with a little intervention as possible and minimal downtime. And you can see the full playbook in the blog post, of course. Yeah, not too, yeah. Not too bad. Excellent. And then well, one good last news. story. Oh, yes. So, this story um, has a little bit of history. So, this is over at Dan D'Angelo's blog, the other blog. Um, so Dan always documents stuff that he's doing and uh, stuff that he's learning so other people can 
make use of that. And this time, it's using SmartD to automatically run tests on your drives. I think, Alan, yes. you were involved uh, in that. Well, um, not really. A little bit. Um, but <laughs> I think part of the reason Dan writes down everything is so that, A, it's, I find it very helpful because when he comes and asks for help, he's got the command output from before and after and every step that he's taken, which makes it much easier to figure out where he started, where he got to, and where he wants to get to. Uh, but also, uh, two years from now, when he needs to know how to do something that has already been explained to him, he can go back and figure out what it was. Uh, so yes, I encourage more people to keep notes like this. You don't have to publish it, but you might as well. It's going to be helpful to somebody. Uh, so thank you very much, Dan, for doing this. Uh, but he goes on uh, saying, SmartD and SmartCTL are two utility programs that are part of the SmartMon tools package uh, on FreeBSD. It's under the Sysadmin, or sorry, SysUtils category in ports. Uh, these programs can control and monitor storage systems using the self-monitoring analysis and reporting technology system called Smart, uh, built into most modern uh, ATA and SAS drives and even NVMe drives, although it's not really smart uh, for NVMe, but it's basically the same thing. Uh, in many cases, these utilities will provide advanced warning of disk degradation and failure. And you can see their website for more. So, but it says, don't, due to OS-specific issues and also dependencies on the different state of SmartMon tools development on that platform, uh, device support is not the same on all OS platforms, but it's quite good on FreeBSD. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so Dan says, I first started using SmartD back in March of 2010, according to the blog post I wrote about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, But then, and until recently, all it did was start SmartD. As far as I can tell, all it did was send daily status messages to my, via FreeBSD periodic tools. I would set my drive, uh, drive devices via the daily status smart devices variable in periodic.conf, and the daily status report would include the drive health information. So you would see, uh, as the example output he has here, it just says, you know, ADA0 is good, and DA0 is good, and DA7 is good, etc. Uh, but he says, looking at it more closely, you can see uh, there's a bunch of flags. Uh, if you set the daily status smart CTL flags, uh, you see this defaults to dash H, which is a basic health check. Perhaps this could be used to invoke the short slash or the long or short uh, drive tests, uh, but I don't think that would be the best way to achieve the goal. So there are two types of tests uh, the short test, which takes a few minutes, and the long test, which can take uh, many hours. <laughs> um, you can see some of the output. Uh, he has a post from back in 2016 where he's played with that before. Uh, when I got a new drive, I run both the short and long test on them. While far from an exhaustive test, it's a basic smoke test to make sure the drive uh, is good before you start using it. Uh, now I see how I can easily configure these tests to run on a regular basis and get emailed about any issues. So originally he had his uh, first attempt to do this, which started with a tweet. I have a strong urge to write a script to run monthly smart CTL long tests on my drives. I would stagger them out uh, throughout the month, like starting one drive each day or something, because he has 20 some odd drives. So he wrote a small script to enumerate the drives and test one drive per day and was getting ready to do some more work when uh, Bryce Chidester saved him from all of that and pointed out that SmartD already has scheduling built into it. So that saved him a bunch of effort. So how do you prove that it works? Uh, when I started using a new feature, I like to know that it works. Uh, given this is going to be a running test on a regular basis, I want to see what it does and what it says. So let's look at this Dell R710, which is his database server and runs a daily Poudrier build, uh, which has uh, a smartd.conf that lists all of his devices and says to do a short test and a long test uh, on a schedule. Yeah, they need to know the understand the syntax a little bit, but Dan goes into it yep. in a little while. Uh, and then when you run smart CTL scan and give it all of that information, uh, you can see it doing the work. 
and it explains what the different uh, parameters are. And so the S is the self-test and uh, the has slow this regular or the, expression. The short test and yeah. Yeah, the long test short test or that. long test and uh, how often you should check it and so on. Yeah, and then he looks so at the test results. Yeah, he's running a short test every day on the 15th hour and the long test uh, on a certain day of the month uh, a different hour. Yeah, and you can see that in the log. You can see the, the lifetime hours, and that's each time when the test runs. So you can see that there's uh, a new test run every, added to that log. Yep. Every, every 24 so hours, hours in this case. Every 24 hours in this case, you can see a short test being done. And then the periodic long test. So I have the same at the university because I after I read that blog post on the next day, I pretty much implemented the same for the disk that I have in the big data cluster. I just use a, um, a different time because some students are night owl who are night owls who would have thought and um, so my um, short tests are run at 4 a.m. in the morning because we had some students that are still active at 3 a.m. but not at 4 a.m. So I think that's a good time and I don't run any long tests yeah. because I think that's taking too much time and yeah, no but it degrades the performance of the drive the whole time is running. Now, the drive does try to only run the long test in the background and keep it from interfering, but you're making the drive do more work. So um, yeah. once a month, and typically, maybe more often than you want, it's hard to say. Yeah, and typically does the short tests um, tell you enough that whether the drive is dying or yeah. just updates the, the stats internally. <clears throat> So importantly, Dan actually had a drive that was failing and was able to test the results. Uh, so he set it up, and you can see if, when you look at the output here, uh, he's got uh, extended offline test that completed but had a read failure. Uh, and so he should get an email about that. Yeah, and you can see how the message looks like. Yeah, you can see he got it the morning that there was... Uh, a failure on one of his Toshiba drives, and it gives him the serial number and all the details. And it also adds it to syslog, letting you know that the error count increased from zero to one. Mm -hmm. And you should monitor that and prepare for that, because as Alan always says, your disks are plotting against you. Yep. Yeah, so that's pretty straightforward. You just add that line. Remember not to um, put in the device scan line in your smartd.conf because that will invalidate everything else that comes afterwards. So comment outload that line and then you can add your own uh, smart CTL scans for each individual disk that you have or drive and then define when those tests should run and what the email address uh, should be that it should be sent to. So all in all, great article. Well worth sharing. Yeah, and it also he covers setting up on a couple of different machines that have different configurations. So it's mm -hmm. interesting to be able to do uh, to see that that way and see how it works with different uh, machines that have different configurations. Whether that's having some SSDs and some hard drives, or having hard drives that are on different types of controllers and so on. Yep. So people should set that up sooner rather than later. So, time for Beastie Bits this week, starting with decent picks of RelayD and HTTPD mastery signatures. So, remember, Michael W. Lucas did an auction uh, during NeatBSD, so this is already over uh, by the time you're watching this. Um, and people could sign uh, from either the OpenBSD camp or the FreeBSD camp uh, those individual books. And this one is the, the decoration for RelayD and HTTPD mastery. He took a picture of that, and uh, Ayaka did that. So uh, the blog post is short. Um, there's three OpenBSD devs at MeetBSD, or were actually. Uh, the auction for this uh, first ever hardcover signed by these folks is, um, or was up to $250. And, and that went end to up the, selling for 1000 mm, That went to the OpenBSD Foundation. Mm -hmm. And among others, you'll get an original Ayaka Koshibe illustration. You can see that yeah, here. Yeah, like two capybaras or something. <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, the picture's small. I'm not... The art is good. It's just the picture is a bit small. You would have to, you know, be in the auction to get that and see it in full size. Yeah. 
and there's a, a link to some ugly pictures uh, <laughs> of some of the other ones that uh, you see people adding their own footnotes or actually I think this one here is Kirk's uh, wiener dog thing. I don't know. If oh I'm yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, see. I see that often when he signs books. Uh, it's his signature <laughs> icon or uh, mm -hmm. picture. Oh yeah. Uh, definitely a great idea by Michael Lucas to have that kind of auction during the conference. And uh, yeah, thanks to all the people who um, yeah auctioned or participated in the auction because it went to a good cause. Uh, either the EuroBSD, not EuroBSD, <laughs> sorry, the FreeBSD Foundation or the OpenBSD Foundation, respectively. Okay, next item is that we have a Unix shell poster from 1983. Uh, oh, I was a small kid by then, but look at that shell here. Well, I wasn't uh, born until the year after. <laughs> so here you can see from the very inner circle going outside and getting bigger and bigger. Some I think it was commands. mostly that they wanted to write all the shell commands in the shape of a seashell. <laughs> mm. Yeah, of course, yeah. And they all fit in there. So way back mm -hmm. when, they, they still had that <laughs> amount of commands available. And yeah, as you can already see which popular commands were still around or already around during that time. Well, what's really interesting is that killing a process in the background was del uh, for delete. And then, mm. uh, sorry, like removing a background process like you, you know, the BG and FG commands was with kill. And then to kill the current process was the delete key. Oh, yes. There's no less command still. There's just more. Unless I don't see it here. But, yeah, I see more on the left, but no less. Yes. Okay. Well, it, 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 some of these commands are still to be developed. So, definitely, um, maybe they still have those in print somewhere. So, for the nostalgics around us, they could probably get one of those posters. I'm not sure. But yeah, good to have. Well, the I type see. of people who might have that would be the Cambridge Unix Historians meetup group. Ah, yes, which brings us to our next item. Yes, <laughs> right, so this exactly. is a meetup group in Cambridge in the UK, uh, organized by Demetrius. Is that the professor that did the talk that I'm thinking of or not? Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Could be. Uh, I say uh, we'll be getting together to discuss Unix operating systems, compilers, networkings, etc. Don't forget to bring your copy of the Lions Book, uh, referring to the uh, source code of Unix annotated uh, books that used to have to be photocopied because uh, they got shut down by AT and T. Oh yes, yeah, I remember those. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, more for um, more current plans into modern days. Uh, the goals for FreeBSD 13 are listed here that we did. Yeah, so we did a our, uh, notes one. from the EuroBSD Con FreeBSD Dev Summit. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, not from the MeetBSD session where we had the net the have need want, but um, the no, goals actually um, from. Uh, yeah, this is Dev just Summit. broader goals of what we hope to accomplish in FreeBSD 13. And if you find something interesting you always wanted to work on, then by all means, get involved. Yeah. Uh, there, can there's only... an entire page titled Documentation Sweep that could use. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, It's uh, in need of much help. Yeah, but that's a good uh, inspiration to see where things could head. Mm -hmm. Other things in our Beastie Bits are the September slash October issue of the FreeBSD Journal, which is now available or has been uh, available for some time now. We just covered the uh, headlines or some of the, the articles in there. So mm -hmm. this issue has um, well, about basically networking, the talking about, overall uh, topic. TCP stack virtualization, uh, or sorry, TCP stack validation at uh, Netflix. A tour of using software-defined networking with Mininet uh, from Ayaka, I think, actually. Uh, yep. FreeBSD and processor trends. Um, a letter from the FreeBSD Foundation. A new faces of FreeBSD uh, article. Letters from readers. Uh, SVN update, a conference update, and a conference calendar. Uh, and lots of other goodies in there. And we are still looking, or always looking, for people to... 
um, write articles for the journal or review books for the journal that can um, be arranged. Um, if you're interested, then uh, get involved or send me an email uh, to bcr at freebsd.org and I'll make the connections to the uh, FreeBSD journal folks. Yeah, they have uh, good copy editors and so on, so they'll make your writing sound better. <laughs> oh yeah, no, uh, no, that's no so, problem. I mean, yeah, so my writing is not it. the best, but they they turn your, relative, gram relative. your English grammar is a lot better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay, I have to thank my English teacher, I guess. Um, but generally, they they can proofread. They they create these. I mean, I I give them basically <clears throat> text. And they turn it into these nicely designed articles, and it's just amazing what they come up with uh, each time. And yeah, this is a nice way of spicing up your uh, your text. Okay, um, next up, using ACME or Acme.sh, which, which is your Ledge Encrypt shell for Let's Encrypt certificates on PackageSource.org servers. This is over at the NetBSD blog. Yeah, so this is a, a post by SP Zeidler um, talking about how they actually use Peter Wem's write-up on how uh, they use acme.sh on freebsd.org uh, and making it work for the package source.org uh, servers. Mm, excellent. So, uh, And in particular, they're using NSUpdate uh, to create the dynamic uh, records they need to verify DNS. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's good so, to have. Uh, it's uh, slightly simplified, uh, and just having a second one to look at. Um, the, the FreeBSD one is extra complicated because of the amount of moving parts involved. So seeing a slightly simplified version like this, uh, but still fully automated, uh, is very nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, certainly. Okay, uh, what's next? Uh, next, there's an article on uh, deploying Anycast DNS using OpenBSD and BGP. Um, they're talking about, uh, John Williams says, my home network is connected to the NYC Mesh, a community-owned open network. Uh, recently, the failure of an SD card in my Raspberry Pi, uh, uh, or sorry, the, S the failure of an SD card in a Raspberry Pi at an adjacent a large hub left my area of the network without a caching uh, recursive DNS resolver. Uh, so I stood up my own instance uh, at the 10.10.10.10 Anycast address that they use in their internal network. And he talks a bit about how he did it using OpenBGP, or sorry, OpenBSD, VMD, Unbound, NSD, RelayD, and OpenBGPD. So if you want to know how to... Uh, create a DNS server and uh, hook it up with Anycast. It's uh, cool. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, the last item that we have is how to check your data integrity over at the dataswamp.org website. And they talk about, uh, you know, data degradation, bit rot, uh, and damaged files or whatever uh, you want to call it um, simply by, you know, the use of the data and storing it on media that is less reliable over the over, the, over time and uh, errors that could creep in. There, there's no media that's completely reliable. So, unfortunately, yeah. But yes, he's saying basically, if the checksum of the data has changed, but the modification time of that data has not changed, then it's bit rot. Uh, when, but when updating a file, uh, could be mistaken for bit rot. Uh, so if the checksum change and the modification time change, then that was an update instead. So how do you ensure your, that the change you saw was actually bit rot? And it covers a bit how to do that. Mm. But the real answer is just use ZFS. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were coming up with that. And it's actually in the article, so it's not a big surprise. And uh, yeah, but, that's uh, one way of... The, the script called BitRot is available in OpenBSD ports. Uh, and they also talk about using the parity archiver to uh, use only a small amount of space to likely be able to repair damage to one of those files. Yep. Very nice uh, overview and, uh, yeah, important topic for everyone using computers or storage media. <clears throat> okay. 
time for our feedback and questions section. We are still running low on, uh, on questions and submissions, so we try to scoop up what we have. Um, but if you have any questions, then please send this to us. Don't be shy. Send this to feedback at bsdnow.tv. But um, we got First this up. one from Raymond uh, about MeetBSD California. Uh, short and sweet saying, hey guys, when and where are the videos for MeetBSD be published? Uh, so a couple of them are out already. Uh, the videos from the Dev Summit are up. I've linked them in the show notes. They're on YouTube under iX Systems. They have a playlist for the Dev Summit and another playlist for the conference. For the conference, they have, I think, three of the videos out as of this morning, uh, and the rest are still in the works, uh, but you already have a couple of hours of content to hold you over until they post the next one. <laughs> yeah, just to get the next dose. Uh, yeah, excellent. By next week's episode, I will have a link to all of the videos from the Postgres conference as well. Oh, excellent. It gets better and better. So you have something to watch over the weekend if it's raining and you can't go outside. It might take you literally the entire weekend to watch all the videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you have missed the conference and want to or want to relive it somehow, then that's a good way of um, looking what was talked about. Okay, so thanks for that question, and uh, thanks for the people who create those uh, playlists and uh, do all the video rendering and uh, cutting. Uh, next up is Greg with a question about stable versus release. Uh, goes like this. Hi, Alan and Benedict. I've been a FreeBSD user for the last year and a Linux user before that since Slackware 3. One thing that has bothered me since switching to FreeBSD is the use of stable and release targets. Stable is actually the less stable version of FreeBSD, and release is actually stable. Is there a reason things are like this? It's very confusing to new users. I don't know where a release would be considered less stable than stable. But um, So stable isn't meant to be unstable. Uh, but the, the important thing to understand is that when we call the branch the stable branch, we're not talking about the stability of it for operations. We're just talking about the stability of the ABI. So yeah. that means that a program compiled to work with that version, uh, like FreeBSD 11, uh, will work on FreeBSD 11.0, 11.1, 11.2, 11.3, etc. So the guarantee you're getting is that the binary compatibility between uh, applications compiled to FreeBSD 11 will work on any other FreeBSD 11. And that's why it's called stable. I agree, it's slightly confusing. Um, but in or general, other... it, there's not much reason to use the stable branch, so you should just use the releases. Yeah, which has a little bit more uh, fluctuation in the APIs. But still, people use the stable releases for you know downstream products. Well, there's no release, or... per se, but yes. Um, in general... Uh, the stable branch is basically the pre-alpha of, like, stable 11 right now is the pre-alpha of FreeBSD 11.3. So it should just be 11.2 plus bug fixes and new features, and it should be completely stable. If it's not, that's a bug and should be fixed, but it's, it's yeah. not. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I've, I've been thinking lately that we should change things around a little bit there and even go to just having freebsd 12 period that's uh, it and yeah. we just have monthly or quarterly updates to that mm. so it's literally just freebsd 12 p4 or whatever um and it's not you know yeah, but, um, mostly because it gets confusing to people that freebsd 11 or FreeBSD 10.4 is newer than 11.1, and so on. Mm, yeah, that kind of overlaps. And the fact that they end up intertwined, right? Because it's like 10.3, and then 11.1, and then 10.4, and then 11.2 uh, really confuses people a bit. And maybe just calling it FreeBSD 11 would solve that. But um, then it raises the question, maybe we just go, it's FreeBSD 2019, period. Mm, yeah, a year uh, release, and then we know what's... Uh, and then it just gets newer. updates once a month or once a quarter or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, P uh, people discuss this. Any and, people have uh, thoughts on how frequently they would like updates versus how 
long they would like to be able to go without updating kind of thing. Mm. Well, not how long you would like to, because I know most people would just like to never have to change anything, but... Yeah. yeah, that's a good question, though. Um, There's yeah, a page uh, in the handbook that tries to explain it, but I understand that it's not great. I too was caught by you know the name stable, making it sound like oh I should be running that instead of this release. Um, mm-hmm. That was four dot eight, I think. <laughs> that's been a while, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fool me once, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, nice that you're switching and trying out the, the BSDs or the uh, FreeBSD in particular. And um, yeah, good luck on your journey. If you have more questions like this or get stuck somewhere, then don't hesitate to contact us again. And uh, last but not least is MJ Rodriguez with an OpenBSD slash FreeBSD support for single board computer question. Uh, hello, Alan and Benedict. I am considering running a common Unix printing system server in my house for cheap and was thinking of buying some single board computer to do it. Are there any specific boards that work great with the BSDs or should I stay safe and just use a Raspberry Pi? Thanks for all the great shows. I hope to uh, to go to a conference one day. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think a Raspberry Pi 2 is probably the best supported one that would have everything you want. Um, I'm not sure the support on the latest Raspberry Pi 3 and so on. So I have the, the Raspberry Pi 3 and it's running my Isinga monitoring system mm-hmm. quite well. So is does the Wi-Fi work though? Um, no, because that's right. the SDIO thing. I, I have yeah. a, a cable connected to I don't know uh, if Ethernet. The, it works or if there even is Wi-Fi on the 2. So yeah, um, the mm-hmm. 3 works, uh, but no Wi-Fi, just as a heads up. Um, I think the Pine 64 is pretty far along as well. Um, not really yeah. my area of expertise. But, but yes, I think they uh, have probably Wi-Fi dongle support. The thing most popular, like a Raspberry Pi, is going to have the best support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, I think server. the Raspberry Pi, th- the Raspberry Pi three, because it's ARM sixty four, will have pre-compiled packages and be much easier to do. So I would recommend that. Yeah. So why don't you? Um, once you have that done, this cup server, write it down and send it to us or mm-hmm. um, create a blog post out of it because that might be interesting to another uh, person out there on the internet, um, if not just one, then we all have something new to, to, to learn about how to run a cup server on this mm-hmm. embedded board of your choice or however you solve that. That would be great. So that brings us to our end of this episode. Uh, remember to send us anything that you find online or uh, that's interesting regarding show ideas or topics you find interesting. Send all of this to feedback at bsdnow.tv and we'll have material for another episode next week. See you next week. <laughs>